Hi, I'm Jo Litson. Welcome to The Thinking Traveller, a series that draws on the passions, expertise and knowledge of Academy Travel's tour leaders to bring a wealth of insight to your travels, one topic at a time. In our third episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Tom Ford, a specialist in classical music with a PhD on Mozart. He's written extensively on classical music, has worked in broadcasting, and is currently a public relations and media manager for Universal Music Australia. Tom's extremely knowledgeable about Beethoven as well as Mozart. With the world celebrating Beethoven's 250th birthday this year, Tom will discuss why the composer is so venerated and how he continued to write music even after he'd lost his hearing. Tom also suggests some of the key places to visit during Beethoven 250, as well as a major anniversary CD box set to look out for. So Tom, when did you first develop a passion for Beethoven? My passion for Beethoven developed uh, quite young. I blame my parents. Uh, They are both amateur musicians. And so growing up, uh, classical music was uh, a constant in our household. My father specifically is a great lover of the classical period, Mozart, Beethoven, Haydn, Schubert. Um, And so from a very early age, I was listening to classical music and uh, I think I got the spark early on. Beethoven specifically, um, uh, my father has a passion for. He is a retired maths teacher. And uh, when we were travelling in the car anywhere, listening to the radio and a Beethoven work would come on, he would test me on which Beethoven opus number we were listening to. Uh, So over the years, I got to know the the Beethoven works quite intimately. Um, And my love for Beethoven has, has never... Uh, disappeared. I, I love him and his music as much as I ever have. So why do you think he's so venerated? There's a wonderful quote um, that I read just the other day by Douglas Adams who said that Beethoven tells you what it's like to be Beethoven, Mozart tells you what it's like to be human, and Bach tells you what it's like to be the universe. Now that sounds rather complimentary to Mozart and and Bach, but I think with Beethoven what that quote underlines is that Beethoven was one of the first composers really to almost explain what he was feeling in his music. Bach and Mozart, to a degree, there's nothing biographical about their music, but in Beethoven you can really hear his life's journey. Uh, there's the struggle um, from an early age, obviously his his deafness, which uh, starts to appear when he's a young man in his 20s. That struggle you can hear throughout his music. Um, he was a he was a passionate man, um, and he really tried, I think, to write music that would last for eternity. Um, his music is timeless. In his music, I think there is so much that can be uh, understood. Um, There's lots to be understood about Beethoven the man. I think it's completely timeless and that's why his music has lasted and is as popular as ever. It's extraordinary that he still composed so much after he lost his hearing. It is and I think it's something which we take for granted. Um, You know, we think, oh yes, Beethoven lost his hearing. But when you actually stop and think about it, it's remarkable that this man was able to continue 
uh, once his hearing went, and not only continued, but his, his, his music went to a completely different world after that. I mean, if, if Beethoven's not the patron saint of working with a disability, uh, I'm not sure who is. I mean, he really is. His story, let alone without the deafness, is remarkable. But I think we have to stop and remember constantly that he had this disability and he was able to carry on. It's remarkable. I mean, he was almost suicidal at one point, wasn't he? He was. There's the famous Heiligenstadt Testament, which was a letter he uh, drafted for his brothers. I don't think it was ever sent, but it was discovered after he had died that he uh, contemplated taking his own life. Um, I mean, this is why the struggle was so real for him. Here's a man who relied on his hearing for his craft, writing music, and it painfully and gradually disappeared and left him. And at this point, he was a very passionate man, young man, he contemplated committing suicide. What's remarkable about this testament, the Heiligenstadt testament, um, which was written in Heiligenstadt, obviously, is that he almost uh, reasons with himself within this letter. He, he says, I don't think there's much point in carrying on. But then towards the end, he sort of uh, counters that thought by saying, no, I must, I must go on for, for the sake of my art. It's 200 and something years later, it's still a wonderful letter of human struggle to, uh, to actually read. So with Beethoven 250, obviously his music is going to be played everywhere around the world. But where do you think a traveller should look for some of the sort of highlights? There certainly is going to be a lot of Beethoven in 2020, um, both here and overseas. Um, and you could really go to anywhere in Europe and you'd be able to hear some wonderful performances of Beethoven's music. For me, there's no better experience than following in Beethoven's footsteps. So starting off in Bonn and then travelling to Cologne where some of his early performances as a child prodigy were uh, and then really ending up in Vienna, which was his home for the last three decades of his life. That gives the traveller a real uh, intimate experience of how Beethoven lived his life. He wasn't a big traveller, um, but he certainly moved around a lot in Vienna and we can sort of retrace those steps and you get to hear just some wonderful performances. Obviously, it's the home of the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra, for example, um, and there's always a number of great artists going through Vienna. Absolutely. But in Bonn, you can actually go into the room where he was born, apparently. You can, the Beethoven House, which has recently been renovated. I was there a few years ago for an Academy Travel tour. And even then, the house is remarkable. You know, it's a it's a old house now, and so you're walking through and it's very creaky floorboards, which gives a sense of place. Um, but you can see the instruments that he used, his ear trumpets when the deafness came, uh, lots of portraits of Beethoven. Some are very famous. You'll recognise them straight away. There's a wonderful statue done by Klimt of Beethoven that exists in the little garden at the back. So yes, Bonn contains a lot of uh, Beethoven places. There's the Beethoven Platz, uh, which in itself has a wonderful story. Um, it's been there since the 1850s, I think, and Schumann and Liszt were involved in creating that statue of Beethoven. Um, so yes, th there's there's a lot of things to see in Bonn relating to Beethoven's early years specifically. And what about his mother's grave? Well, yes, I uh, I have a particular love of cemeteries. It's quite odd, but uh, it, it's not a morbid fascination. It's rather a 
pilgrimage for me. I love going to see the final resting places of various composers. Um, Beethoven's not buried in Bonn, obviously. He's in Vienna, but his mother is buried in this gorgeous little uh, almost boutique cemetery in Bonn. Beethoven's mother died when he was a young man, just still a teenager, and there's a um, the, her grave has a headstone which has a quote from Beethoven which comes from a letter he wrote to a friend shortly after she died. And it says, it says in German, obviously, but it says, she was a loving and caring mother and she was also my best friend. It's very sweet and poignant, I think. Um, Beethoven had a quite a troublesome childhood, I think. His father had a problem with alcohol. As a very young man, Beethoven sort of took the role as the head of the family and when his mother died, I think it must have been incredibly sad for him. It's quite poignant. She never knew that he wrote music we'd be listening to, you know, 250 years later. Absolutely, no. Um, I don't think anyone quite knew the power of this young man at that stage. I mean, he he was quite confident, I suppose you could say, and he was one of the first composers, I think, to write for posterity. Mozart certainly didn't. He wrote for the then and now and just to get money because he was a freelance composer. Mozart's music is very much of the time, but Beethoven, I think his music transcends the centuries. And um, to see where he came from in Bonn, which back then was sort of a much more provincial town, and to see from his rather humble background, I think it's quite remarkable to see his legacy 250 years on. So when he was 22, he moved to Vienna... And then he stayed for the rest of his life. He, yes. But he moved around, apparently. I mean, he wasn't a great traveller, but in the city, I think there's more than 60 houses that he lived in. It, yes, it's quite remarkable. And again, if I can draw the comparison with Mozart, Mo, Mozart was a great traveller. And from an early age, we know that uh, Mozart's father took his young children around Europe, parading them before kings and queens of Europe. And Mozart spent, I think, a third of his life on the road. Um, that's a lot of you know, carriage rides. Um, Beethoven was the complete opposite. He sort of settled in a city and stayed there. He was in Vienna for the last three decades of his life, but within Vienna, uh, he moved around a lot. And if you're in Vienna today, almost every street in old Vienna has a plaque saying the composer Beethoven lived here um, for six months um, and then he moved on. He uh, There's various reasons why. Um, he, he could be quite... Um, cantankerous and would often have arguments with the landlords or he would just have a change of mood and and move on. Or he would, of course, be pounding his keyboard too loudly, certainly as his deafness set in and he was asked to leave. But um, if you're in Vienna today, there's certainly a lot of places where Beethoven lived that can be seen. You can't go into all of them, but you can certainly see where he would have lived for a certain period of time. So... How many houses can you actually go into in Vienna? So Beethoven uh, lived in a number of houses in Vienna, but since Beethoven's time, a lot of those have been demolished um, or they're just not operating anymore. There's a couple of houses which he lived in which are still um, alive and well and sort of operating as museums. Uh, The first is the Pasqualati House, which is very much in the centre of Vienna. He lived and uh, worked here for a number of years. It's where his opera Fidelio was largely written, um, the famous work 
Faralisa was written there. It's at the top of a flight of stairs, which um, I was there a few years ago, and you sort of climb up these old stairs and you get a sense of the grumpy Beethoven having to sort of go up there a number of times a day. Um, but at the top, it's a wonderful museum. You can see Beethoven's uh, keyboard, a number of portraits of him, um, a number of manuscripts, obviously. you know. So you can literally see Beethoven's handwriting, which is always a wonderful experience. The other truly wonderful museum in Vienna is the Heiligenstadt, um, uh, in Heiligenstadt, where he wrote the Heiligenstadt Testament. Um, Heiligenstadt in Beethoven's time was slightly outside of Vienna. Now it's inside Vienna, obviously, as it's grown over the centuries. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's really a, a must-see for anyone who's wanting to retrace Beethoven's steps. Um, it became a, uh, it was written, the, the testament, at a very important part in his life. And I think um, being able to stand in the room where Beethoven contemplated suicide is quite a moving experience. Mm, absolutely. So I assume there'll be a lot going on in Vienna for Beethoven 250. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of Beethoven at, on at the best of times, but specifically in the anniversary year of 2020, there's going to be lots of uh, Beethoven music, but also exhibitions, um, um, you know, lots of Beethoven memorabilia and things to see relating to his life. Um, it's just going to be a wonderful time to be in Europe and specifically where he lived. What about the place where he wrote the Ninth Symphony? That was outside Vienna, wasn't it? It was. Um, a very popular town just outside of Vienna, has been for centuries, Baden by Wien, uh, sort of a getaway for the Viennese in the summer months. It's about an hour's drive these days. Um, Mozart, Schubert, Beethoven all went there for periods of their life and Today there's a house that exists and is a Beethoven museum and it's where Beethoven wrote a large part of the Ninth Symphony, the, uh, the Ode to Joy Symphony. It itself has recently been renovated and it's a wonderful uh, exhibition to his life. And again, you get a sense of uh, the struggle Beethoven had, certainly in those last years when his deafness had completely um, escaped him. And so travelling to baden by Wien is, is a wonderful experience for the traveller. So in the in 2020, there'll be a lot of releases, I suppose. Can you tell us about some of the ones that people should look out for? Well, I, I suppose the biggest release is uh, comes from Deutsche Grammophon. They are releasing the uh, complete works of Beethoven, uh, as they have done pre in the recent years with Bach and, and Mozart. Um, this is a box set which contains 118 CDs, um, uh, two DVDs and three Blu-ray audio CDs. And it not only contains every uh, work that Beethoven penned, both complete and incomplete, but it also includes legendary recordings. So with some works, like the symphonies, you'll get various recordings that the listener can compare. And of course, Deutsche Grammophon have just an amazing catalogue of musicians, Karajan and Böhm, uh, Leonard Bernstein, um, Paulini, Baron Boehm, uh, uh, Christian Zimmermann, uh, the list goes on and on. And so for the listener to um, get a complete sense of what Beethoven wrote, uh, even the little sketches, and there's a couple of world premieres on this box set. It really is, I think, a must-have. So what are the world premieres? There's a number of... Um, well, really, the world premieres are sketches and fragments that um, I suppose to the average listener might not be of 
particular interest, but for the collector and the completist, these fragments have been recorded for the first time. There's about 30 world premieres, I believe, and they're literally works that only go for a minute or two minutes because Beethoven left them incomplete. Um, so for many years they weren't of any interest because they're incomplete. But I think today there's a sense from listeners that they want absolutely everything. So you'll be listening to a work that just suddenly ends because Beethoven then put it aside. There's a work which is thought to be his final thought, his final work. Um, it's a string quintet which we don't have the original manuscript for, but we have the his, his, Beethoven's own piano reduction. Um, that's been recorded here. And so for someone who wants to get a complete sense of Beethoven, this box set from Deutsche Grammophon will certainly do the trick. And finally, so that last piece, so, so what's the mood? Is, is, is he very down or is there I know, hope? Or? No, I was listening to it this morning actually and it's performed in this box set by Ronald Brautigam, um famous forte pianist. No, it's, it's quite the opposite of what you would expect. It's... Um, I'd say it's rather optimistic. It's, uh, it doesn't give a sense at all of his impending death. And I think this, is, this can be said with a lot of Beethoven's last works, actually. There's a great sense that things will carry on. Like I said earlier, I think Beethoven writes for posterity. He once said, wouldn't it be lovely to live for a thousand years? You know, And if you understand Beethoven's or know anything about his own struggle, that's quite a remarkable thing for him to have said because he, of course, had the deafness and was always um, in some sort of argument with someone. But he, he had a, a great sense of wanting to live forever. Um, on, a, on the ground level, he could be thought of as a misanthrope, but he was, I think, he loved, you know, the brotherhood of man and um, espoused all the ideals of the Enlightenment. His opera, um, Fidelio, talks about liberty and being able to... Um, move on from the old regime of the aristocracy and kings and queens. So I think it's remarkable to see Beethoven's music uh, wanting to sort of live forever and, and, and Beethoven himself, I think, had a sense of wanting to live forever. Wonderful. Thanks so much. My pleasure. That concludes today's episode for The Thinking Traveller, a series brought to you by Academy Travel. To stay up to date with the latest conversations in this series, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you source your shows. For more information on Academy Travel's tour programme, to read other interesting articles written by their expert tour leaders, or to catch up with them in person at a public event around Australia, visit academytravel.com.au. Until next time, I'm Joe Litson. Thank you for your company.